Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all the major platforms. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and talk to them about their story and share it with all of you. And this week is no different. I'm joined by Vicky Anstey. Uh, Vicky is an advocate, an ambassador, and I think a real icon uh, for what it takes uh, to, to, uh, to succeed in the, in the, in the physical world. Uh, she's an, an incredible athlete and, uh, and, and certainly been an inspiration for me and I think many others. Raw, gritty determination as you'll hear. Uh, I'll give her a bit of a bio uh, to save her, her doing it. Uh, started out in advertising but very quickly uh, skipped um, into a different world which, was, uh, which is physical fitness uh, with her Barworks company. Uh, where concepts of dance are incorporated in exercise and um, ordinary people become elite athletes uh, over a period of time. Uh, Vicky also uh, went on to the Channel 4 show Who Dares Wins, uh, which was filmed in 2018, uh, got into the final, yeah. I think. Uh, so we'll talk about that, um, an incredibly uh, testing, uh, mentally and physically te testing experience. And not satisfied with that, she's now got a plan to <laughs> row, row across most of the Pacific from California to Hawaii, I think. That's correct. Uh, with three other, um, what she describes as ordinary women. I don't think they're ordinary women at all, but we'll talk about that as well. So, welcome, Vicky. Thank you, thank you. Great to be here. So, uh, look, um, you take us, take us back to begin with. You grew up in North Yorkshire. And yeah, so, yeah, I grew up in North Yorkshire in a tiny village. Um, and um, yeah, I couldn't kind of wait <laughs> to go and enjoy bigger city life. So I um, went to Bristol University, yeah. which was kind of the furthest I could get away from home without moving country. <laughs> um, and um, loved it. Um, and I studied French actually, um, for no reason other than the fact that I loved French and I was pretty good at it. And, Do you still uh, speak? Uh, not really fluently, I would say. If I spent some time there, yeah. then I'd, Comes I'd, back it would come back. But it's like anything. You the restaurant French is good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, my reading French is quite good. I mean, I still mm. quite like watching a French film or something. And if I go to France, then obviously I can string sentences together. But uh, yeah, not on the same level as I, I was. But that was a long time ago. It's like 20 years ago. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I graduated and uh, went straight into the world of advertising. Um, As you do, after finishing a French degree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of knew that I didn't really want to use French. I didn't want to become a translator, I didn't want to become yeah. a school teacher, I didn't want to do any of the potentially like obvious things. Like that's that's kind of you'll um, come to realise that's kind of my DNA is I tend to not do the expected <laughs> thing. Yeah, I've noticed that. Um, yeah. <laughs> like to be a little different and kind of yeah, unconventional. So um, I just, I just really chose a subject that I loved and that I knew I could study for four years. And um, I think university teaches you a lot of other things besides the subject yeah. that you're there to study. And um, yeah, so I, I, I actually knew that I wanted to get into advertising. Um, so I, I kind of did that on a graduate scheme. What, what drew you towards advertising? I think kind of the creativity of it. I enjoyed writing. Um, I'm quite a visual person. Um, and I just had this slightly weird obsession with advertising. I always had as a child. Like I knew the adverts on TV. Like I would, um, you know, I would be able to recite them. 
um, as, as soon as I came on or I kind of play that game as a child where you guess what the product is yeah. that you know is being advertised and so uh, yeah I kind of had developed this sort of slight obsession with advertising and read all the books and yeah. um, so so yeah and then I you know I worked with some great agencies and then I went into client side and uh, handled IKEA's advertising, external right. advertising Very for good. about three years, which yeah. is amazing. Incredible company. Amazing company. Yeah. And actually taught me one of the best lessons um, <coughs> in life, which was that, you know, IKEA, they always say, you know, we're, we're, we're never at the destination. We're always on a journey. There's always yeah. more to do. Yeah. And, um, and they also really encourage you to make mistakes. So yeah. it's quite a maverick company. Yeah. And they, they would actually celebrate mistakes. Like yeah. the, the worst mistake of the year award goes to someone who ordered a hundred times more product than they should have right. done, you know. Um, so they reward mistake as long as you kind yeah. of learn from it. So it was a great environment to kind of... So it's a safe, you know, psychologically safe environment to yeah. experiment. And, yeah, and yeah. I was like, I was 23 and I yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. you know, they took a gamble on me actually at that quite an mm. early age um, to go in there and be their advertising manager. Yeah. And um, so I, I, my learning curve was massive um, and I loved it. And uh, yeah, it was very creative. Um, great company well I'm sure sh- um, I'm, sh- I'm sure many uh, watching or listening will, will have IKEA stuff and it certainly feels having assembled a few of their <laughs> items it, it does feel like you're always on a journey and yeah. making mistakes but then you jumped into trains of yeah course. and then yeah. I went well I was actually poached um, to go to Eurostar which was you know very flattering and they were looking to kind of change up their advertising they wanted a bit more of a kind of maverick edge to it um, so yeah and I went there and um, I I enjoyed it 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 challenged me in lots of ways but um, advertising had started to kind of lose its edge a bit and um, yeah and I just I kind of felt like I got to a point where I was just like I'm just selling train tickets I'm just selling furniture I feel like I need to do something more with my life and um, I probably wasn't in a great place you know in terms of my lifestyle I was pretty like married to my career is yeah. how it is you know you work very long hours there's like no real time for you it's a pretty unhealthy kind of world to be in there's a lot of you know breakfast um, bacon sandwiches at breakfast you know yeah. kind of you know eating at your desk and um, yeah. probably too much drinking is working as well and it is a hard living lifestyle yeah. isn't it yeah, yeah and it's, it's kind of um, just how it was yeah. and uh, you know in your 20s that's fine and I kind of I, you know I certainly had some great times um, but yeah I, I kind of I actually remember one evening sat really late um, at my office in, at Eurostar and I caught a glimpse of myself back in the monitor of the computer I was just like, what? What are you doing? Like, is this how life is going to be? Just mm. constant churn, you know, in at work at seven, leaving at nine, yeah. you know, no time for yourself. Weekends just spent exhausted and kind of catching yeah. up. And, um, you know, and I got pretty out of shape and I'd never actually really been all that sporty as a child, really, yeah. or at university. But I just, something just, a switch just yeah. flicked in my head and, um, and I decided to kind of do something about it. Yeah. 
and um, so yeah, at that stage I'd also transitioned from Eurostar to work for a social enterprise doing their marketing, um, which was a bit more fulfilling, but I kind of still knew that it wasn't quite yeah. kind of um, pushing my buttons and um, long term I kind of needed a new game mm-hmm. plan and then and I started to kind of get a bit more active. I discovered this um, class called the Lottie Burke method and um, someone had said to me it's like doing exercise without exercising so I was like I am all over that. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of yeah, exactly so I went along and and Lottie Burke is basically the original bar method. Oh okay. Um, so that's where bar has kind of come from right. and um, it was I'd never done ballet in my life it was this kind of um, sort of well it's not really ballet but using ballet positions and um, but oh my god it was the hardest thing I'd ever done but I instantly loved it. So describe it a little so, bit deeper for, um, for people who may not be familiar. So it's so the way that like I me. describe it now and, and the method that I've evolved since I first began to take those classes myself is quite different and has grown and is more dynamic and more evolved and um, a bit more fast paced but essentially I, I kind of describe it as being the strength and conditioning of ballet. Right. So a ballet dancer will spend hours doing bar, which is basically standing at the literally at the at bar, the, bar, yeah. at the, the, the wall mounted bar, yeah. going through different positions, going through different strength building exercises, <coughs> different flows. Um, essentially, it's kind of challenging. It's all about challenging your core stability, your mm. shoulder, hip, spinal stability. Um, in quite challenging positions. Yeah. Um, so so th- there's a lot of the upstairs that needs to be like involved in gritting it out. Yeah. Um, but I'm quite a stubborn kind of determined person, so I think that's why I just in- I instantly loved it. When you took the totally first class, addicted yeah. To it. Yeah. And so, but the, it's a big leap to yeah. go from taking a class to starting a company. Right. Well, yeah, and that that transition took a bit longer. So I continued to work. Um, in advertising um, for a while. I did those classes for about two years, but it it had become something that was so routine that I really, you know, my lifestyle had started to change. I started to do a few runs. Those runs then turned into marathons, you know, so I was then sort of in this um, amazing cycle where I was getting fitter, stronger, had more stamina, was able to run for longer, things were changed. So then your lifestyle changes to accommodate Marathon training, for and, example. And how are you? The, so, from the computer monitor, a couple of years of doing this class. Mm. I mean, that, that's a that's a big period. How we, other than your lifestyle, what what changes did you see in yourself and your in your in your um, strength and your? Well, I think I just I'd begun to program my week completely differently. So rather than it just being about handing my life over to mm. work, from Monday to Friday and often at the weekends as well. I kind of had an agreement with my company that on a Monday night, a Wednesday night, I I was leaving at six o'clock and that was my time and I was going to use it to kind of create a more active life for myself, a better, healthier lifestyle for myself and at all other times I'd be in the office whenever needed. And then that just kind of started to take over and um, I started to see changes in my own body, which is a a huge motivation um, to continue. And... um, and it's such a it's such a targeted um, exercise method that yeah I started to see changes in my body that I didn't even think I'd ever see. You know, you kind of think you are a certain body type or body shape. For example. Well, just um, you know, I, I 
I carried weight in certain areas that I just thought, well, that's just how I'm made. Um, turns out that's not the case at all. And, and it was just such a mentally kind of focused method as well. And you think about ballet, it's so mm. disciplined. Yeah. Um, and although it's not ballet as such, um, that discipline runs through it. Yeah. Um, so actually it's such a great way to de-stress. Um, because you can't think about all the other stuff that's kind of totally. flying around your head. You're just really focused in, in the moment. So some people uh, who, who are watching or listening may be thinking, yeah, I kind of like to do that, but I'm just too busy. Yeah. What advice well, would you Well, I think you can always find time to do the things you want to do in life, can't you? Um, that's the truth of the matter. But, you know, then I, uh, now, then and now, I, I kind of plan my week in terms of when, I'm, when am I training? Right. That's what goes in first. That's the first thing, yeah, and then everything well, else. I mean, I know I'm lucky. I've worked hard for it, but you know, I do work in in an active job, so you know, I get to train as part of that. But um, even before I was in that situation, I was kind of thinking, I, I need to make sure that I can get this run in, I can get this class in, I can, you know, because I knew that it had changed my mindset so right. much, right? Um, and was changing my lifestyle in a really positive way. So I what? Felt better, looked better, like right. felt healthier, you yeah. know, had more energy. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it kind of, I think that's the easy way out actually often is to say, oh, I haven't got time. Yeah. But if you make time for something like that. You've got to make time. You, but yeah. you reap the rewards I, in so many ways. I totally relate yeah. to that. And I'm very grateful that I didn't uh, offer you a bacon sarni this morning. <laughs> I did offer you eggs though, yeah, it's fair to say. Yeah. I, I, I was saying to Vicky, I've never done one of these with actual eggs in front of us. We do have coffee though, um, and there's plenty of inspiration. So what took you from you know a change in lifestyle and an enthusiasm for exercise into yeah. starting a company around that? Well, because um, Lottie Burke was so little known and um, you know it was this tiny studio in Fulham um, that only very few people knew about and it was kind of that was the idea of it you know we mm. they didn't advertise um and it was this kind of club if you like reassuringly exclusive yeah right yeah. and and i just kind of that's just really not me i just felt like if i if i'm doing something that has transformed me in my life i want to share it and i want to tell yeah. people about it and i suppose with with a marketing hat on i just thought this is a huge opportunity yeah. and then I started to kind of research it a bit more and I realized that bar was massive in the US um, and you know so I spent over the years I've spent a lot of time in New York kind of scouring the streets there and, and I've done a lot of training over there as well because they're just a lot further down the line than we are um, in the UK although it actually originated here in London it was oh, really? Then, yeah, it was then taken over to the States huh. and flourished, as things tend to. Um, so, um, you know, I could see how well Bar had done. Um, so you thought, well... And I just thought, like, just not? more people need to know. I like yeah. It's changed me. The point for me was that as a non-ballet dancer and as someone who had never really been very fit, suddenly, um, having discovered this method and become quite hooked to it and good at it anyone like anyone could do that right. if i if that had really changed me 
Like it really could change anyone. I could I come along and do a class? A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, and You're we on. have men's classes. Awesome. And we train athletes now. So, you know, I'm really on this like huge kind of drive to, um, to affect a bit more credibility for bar in the fitness world because I think automatically people will go to Pilates or to yoga, you know, if yeah. they feel like, oh, I need to take care of my, I need to strengthen my core, it's such an overused term, but, um, you know, so automatically they'll tend to go to do some Pilates. Well, right. actually bars a lot more functional than Pilates. It's also a lot more enjoyable. Is that- um, yeah, it's a bit more fun and yeah. more dynamic. And um, I think I think sometimes the, the sort of the ballet, aspect puts people off um but i had never done ballet in my life and i you know was that was part of what drew me in it's like i've never i never thought i could be in this world um well i'm i'm intrigued i'm going to yeah. come along so this is your chance to do a little plug it's bar works <laughs> yeah and... so it's, it's bar works our studio is in richmond um in southwest london um but you can have a look on our website which is barworks.co.uk and uh, link know, we've below. Got, yeah, we've got, we've got online classes, so you can have a look at that as well. So if you can't get to the studio, then yeah, fantastic. Same with us online. It sounds amazing. <laughs> so you're you've really thrown yourself in um, wholeheartedly. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. this, you've got a business. It's 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 ten years old now, so well, it's a it's, thriving business. Yeah, right? it's ten years old now, and it's it's kind of we've expanded without the expansion being about bricks and mortar, but much more through. Um, instructor training and through kind of strands of the business that we've been able to kind of open up so I've recently set up a new venture called the business of fitness uh, with my business mentor Um, so someone that I've worked with for for a few years now who's helped me take Barworks to a a sort of another level if you like and so we've now set something up together that is all about um, inspiring fitness instructors who are already qualified in their discipline to run a business because I think a lot of the time the the type of person who would go into the fitness industry is quite creative obviously you know physically capable of delivering you know their their chosen discipline but doesn't necessarily think of themselves as a business person like I don't I I still don't Um, so it's all that's all about kind of furnishing them with the skills and the knowledge and opening their eyes to the opportunities and the pitfalls and all that kind of stuff so you know and and I've got people coming from overseas to train with us so we're kind of my my whole vision was about and still is about um, making barworks like the like following a liberties model if you like so liberties is unapologetically one location and um, you know that's kind of how I wanted Barworks to be like the hub, right. kind of the number one place that you want to go and train as a client or as an instructor. And um, yeah, so we're kind of building out without amazing. Well, I mean, having I, too many locations to get around. Big industry too. Everyone's yeah. got a body. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so t- tell me about let's let's pivot. Mm. Right, so you're in Barworks. Yeah. Where did Channel 4 Who Dares Win come? <laughs> I mean, what, what happened? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot's happened in the last couple of years. I, um, I had left my husband, and um, that was a 20-year relationship. So I'd met him when I was at Bristol University when I was 19 years old. And I turned 40, and I just had a bit of an epiphany that um, it, it perhaps wasn't 
the relationship that it had always been and that maybe that wasn't the right relationship for me anymore and that life didn't have to be a foregone conclusion so like the next 40 years of my life didn't have to be you know a repeat of the previous 40 so um I was kind of in this space of like you know re-establishing my own identity and um you know creating some security and and kind of building my business up so it would sort of support me um independently and and just I think when you have a bit of a mindset change like that doors just suddenly start opening mm. and and I was just saying yes to lots more lots more stuff and um I I'd noticed that um SAS Who Dares Wins were inviting women to participate for the first time because um, it had previously been an all male show yeah. yeah and uh, so I put that out on my Instagram stories I think I reposted something by Anne Middleton and said you know how great it was that women were going to be allowed to show their metal and uh, and then I was just like inundated with with comments from friends and people that I trained with to say well so you're going to apply what are you doing yeah and yeah. I was like no, I like I had literally had no intention. Yeah. Um, and then just the seed was planted, I guess, and right. I just kind of thought, um, well, I can't stop thinking about it. But generally, <laughs> when I can't stop thinking about something, I have to. You have, have to do to it. Do it. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, those those cogs started turning, and um, so I applied, and then I was invited to go and do a physical um, assessment, which actually I failed. So Did I was, you? I was three press ups short. Of the requirements. Goodness me. <laughs> and um, so I thought it was all over at that point. I'd had this amazing day out being tested for um, entry level SAS kind of fitness. That to me was like, this is the best day out ever. <laughs> uh, and I was like four press ups short of, of, um, of passing that selection. So I was like, I'll take that. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, good day out. Yeah, good day out. <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they called me back and, um, and I had to redo the press ups. And uh, I had another two attempts at that. And finally I got it. Did you practice in between? I did. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I finally got that with like six seconds to spare in my final attempt. That seems like a lot. Yeah, it's a huge one. Well, the, but this is how my brain works. So when I'm kind of pushed and pushed and pushed to the limit, <clears throat> where most people would then be fatigued, that's where I just seem to have like this other weird Another gear, gear that kicks yeah. in and it's totally up here. Amazing. And um, yeah, so then, so then I was being sent army boots and <laughs> navigation manuals and, um, you know, but still no like guarantee or confirmation that I was definitely going so that's so I had like 10 days notice that yeah. I was going to Chile um my goodness yeah. so that and the location it was in the in well, the it was in Chile. Yeah. What What were you thinking? Oh, fantastic! I'm going to be. Well, we we didn't know where it was going to be. You didn't know. No. Yeah. So we were sent these army boots, and um, you know, because I've I've done obviously British military fitness for a number of years, so um, have a few friends who are from the military, and they're like looking at these boots, kind of, you know, a bit of teeth sucking. Oh, I'm not sure where these are. They're 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 definitely not desert boots. They're definitely not this kind of terrain boot. You know, and right. I was like, oh god. Um, so yeah, I literally arrived at, at Heathrow with no notion of where you were going. Where I was going, and uh, you ended small, up in the Chilean Andes. Yeah, right. Yeah. High up. How, yeah. What was the altitude? The altitude was about, I think, 
I think it was around two and a half thousand, mm -hmm. but we went up to about three and a half thousand at one point. Feet or meters? Uh, meters. Meters. Yeah. So that's yeah. So the altitude. Hypoxia yeah. range. Oh yeah. yeah, and some people really did um, yeah. suffer quite badly. Um, I think altitude is one of those things that you either adapt yeah. to or you don't. And um, there were some incredibly strong um, recruits who just didn't adapt and ended up with hypoxia no doubt, and, and yeah. pneumonia and yeah. But you obviously did, and uh, we we live in London. Yeah. And it's not exactly a high altitude <laughs> no. place, is it? No, I don't. I, I mean, I, I I think it's entirely random. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think actually it's really got that much to do with your fitness. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty lucky that I mean I, I had this awful cough the whole way through, um, and you kind did of did you have that going in? Uh, no, no, no. That was okay. that was through the altitude. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know you'd kind of lie down on on these awful camp beds that we had for. I mean, we we virtually got no sleep. But any time you did get to lie down, it, was, it felt like this immense pressure on your chest. Right, because um, you're just trying to yeah, get the oxygen. Yeah, and you're kind of running, yeah. you know, from A to B fast because you're being screamed at. Yeah. Um, and you're carrying just and carrying a 45-pound burden on your back and desperately just trying to get oxygen in your lungs okay. as you're going up and up and up and up. So yeah, it was. There was a lot to contend with. Eleven days of. Eleven days. Of hell. hell. <laughs> um, tell me about your cohort. So, how many people were on it? Um, and, uh, yeah, so there were 25 of us in total mm -hmm. um, half men, half women. And in fact, I'm not sure whether it was a 12 13 split, which way it was. But um, yeah, 25 of us in total, and all from completely different walks of life. And yeah. that was, you know, one of the things that I really learned from that experience was just about not judging people. Yeah. So, so I was living and breathing and supporting and being supported by people who I just would never have met in in my life you know I'm pretty fortunate and um, are you still in touch with yeah them? we're still in touch um, but you know there were some some incredible stories I mean either you just would never have crossed paths through geography or just because you just live in different worlds yeah. and and I think what it taught me was stories as in sort of helping each other for example or yeah so I mean but everybody had a had a story so my story was pretty right. boring you know I was like a 20 40 year old woman getting divorced who I think they were like on the ballet angle and found that quite interesting yeah. um, but you know there was some there were a lot of stories of drug addiction and alcoholism yeah. and um, being involved in gangs and homelessness right. and um, you know and, and awful bereavements as well yeah. so everybody kind of went in there with something that they were yeah. dealing with and 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 so that's that's kind of part of the show you know to kind of share those stories and see how people can overcome those issues in life through yeah. physical mental challenge amazing yeah. well and speaking of physical and mental challenge i've seen a couple of the episodes uh -huh. uh, physical bee stings ice hole submersions yeah. water and height challenges yeah. I mean, take us through some of the uh, more extreme experiences um, that you had yeah so i mean like literally every day we have two or three of these challenges in amongst like I don't know, three different sessions of where we were physically like pushed to our limits. So they, they're basically trying to like physically grind you down. Break you. Break you. Yeah. Until all you've got to rely on is your, your mind and then they're testing your mental resilience. Um, so it was, it was literally all about kind of break you down, break you down, break you down, then put you through some kind of mental ch test or challenge. Um, 
but you know, it, even the, the physical challenges. So we'd kind of we'd spend maybe a couple of hours on these awful um, Unimob trucks that were desperately uncomfortable. Like we'd all joke sitting in the back that whenever we get to interrogation, it just can't be as uncomfortable as sitting in these awful vehicles. You know, the roads are horrendous, and you're yeah. being thrown around. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd get out of the truck at some point and we'd see the setup of, of what might appear to be an abseil off a 300 foot cliff face. And then you see one of the DS come down off the top of the cliff forward facing. Directing staff, right? The, yeah. one, of the, one of the SAS yes. people. Yes, yeah, yep. yeah. So there are four guys who run the course yeah. and they're all ex SAS or SBS. Uh, but, you know, so that everything that you kind of thought, oh my God, I think I know what this is going to be it would be worse than that you know there would be some kind of spin on it or twist on it so the ladder scene that we had to do where we had to walk across two ladders slung together across a kind of 30 foot ravine had this um, waterfall crashing down it was called the devil's throat and it was like such a fitting name for it Um, but not only did we have to walk across this ladder we then had to squat in the middle like bum to heels and then get back up again and complete it and you're not good with heights right? I'm ta- well i think i you're probably better now i right? I, I think i'm a lot better now I, I haven't like since then really put it to the test yeah but i um yeah that i think that kind of flushed out a lot of my height demons with the safety you know there must be it's, yeah it's so but, so pretty much everything you're doing you're in a safety harness yeah. and and you kind of think these are four guys who between them have got like 80 years experience mm. or whatever of, of special forces training like you literally couldn't be safer um, and they are they are properly running the course they're not just there for TV they're behind the scenes they're yeah. doing everything it's amazing um, but even then when you think I can't die it's still incredibly terrifying well there's real I mean Yes, it's TV, but it's there's real danger, oh, right? There this is, is real, real danger. There is real danger, and there were several times where, you know, honestly, but for the grace of God, someone didn't really die, get really badly injured, fall off a hill. Um, the, Give us an example. That what was the scariest moment you? The, had? the worst thing was was right at the end. So we were put on this escape and evasion task through the night. Uh, so um, we'd spent, we'd had a 24 hours without food or water, uh, or sleep, sorry, we did have water, um, by that point already. And then this was a further 24 hours. So we, we basically had absolutely no food, no sleep. And through the middle of the night, we had to um, get from a kind of RV point to another RV point where we would uh, follow a map. RV is as a, a rendezvous. Yeah. So we'd have to meet someone who'd give us another instruction to get somewhere else. And the whole time you're being chased. Um, and um, who, who's chasing you, by the way? Uh, what these um, uh, the kind of local militia. <laughs> and so yeah, they're gonna they, they ultimately we I mean we knew that we were gonna get captured. It was just a matter of kind of how long that took. Yeah. And and actually it was slightly ridiculous because we had a cameraman with us. Who, who obviously had a GPS, so they knew exactly where we were. It was just a game of cat and mouse, really. Yeah. Um, however, we were on our own, and we were scaling like 20-foot drops with not like no equipment, no safety equipment, holding on to like cactus plants to to avoid sliding down into this like waterfall. 
Um, it was like rapid water. Someone's Bergen got um, fell off at one point, and it literally tumbled down, 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 down. It was it was the most terrifying thing ever. So we were basically trying to cross really difficult terrain without being up on a road where we could be tracked. So we had to stay beneath road level. So you could have really hurt yourself, Re- or like, worse. Honestly, yeah. that was the scariest thing. It was ridiculous, like terrain, and it, but it was the kind of, we were, you know, obviously there were lighter moments where we all just had to laugh about it. But, um, you know, we were saying, like, if we had been asked to do this at the beginning of the course... You wouldn't have done it. You would have done it. (laughs) And then, you know, but then by that point, we were like, I mean, we're SAS, you know, we've just got to crack on and get this done. Your mindset changed, even in 11 days. It's unbelievable. Interesting. Um, And you got right into the final. Yeah, yeah. so I got right into the, the last stages of it. So we were captured and we were put through interrogation. And, you know, so we had the earphones on with the awful noises of babies crying and women screaming and animals being slaughtered and all the kind of stuff that they try and do to just mess your head up and um, yeah so I did eight hours of that so that was being put in stress positions being verbally interrogated being stripped down um, one guy was put into a box in the ground you know they, they have some pretty brutal methods so they Gosh. kind of they've, give, they've given us this um, real story and a kind of fake story and we had to kind of drip feed information and you know um, this kind of no ideal way of doing it you you there's no way to win if you like yeah um, it's it's just about trying to withhold as much information as you can for as long as you can and they're obviously trying to torture it out of you Um, but you know we were hit and there were chains used you were hit? yeah you know we were put in stress positions so I might be kind of standing with my hands up against a wall um, and there'd be someone coming up behind me I'm not going to say it was at Middleton but it could have been with with literally like a truncheon and they're kind of hitting you on the back of the head and moving you around, pushing you around. It was tough. It was really tough. Yeah, it sounds incredibly Um, tough. Goodness me. And uh, look, uh, getting all the way as as you did, um, huge inspiration to many who are watching. Yeah. How did life change after that? I mean, immeasurably, honestly. Mm. Um, I mean, and obviously there was like a massive gap between doing it and it coming out on TV. So um, it's not like just the fact of it being on TV opened doors. It was my mindset coming out of it. I just suddenly yeah. felt like I can actually do it. I couldn't believe that I could do that. You know, I couldn't believe that as a non-ballet dancer I could set up the first dedicated bar and ballet studio in the UK. It doesn't feel like me. It, it, but but that's kind of the point. Like We're all capable of much more than we think we are. And you know, our human potential is kind of out there waiting for us to unlock it I think and um, yeah so I just it just just changed my whole outlook and I felt like there's there's like really nothing I can't do I'm feeling really inspired just, just <laughs> sitting here talking to you uh, um, speaking of which there's nothing that you can't do uh, you've got a world record attempt coming up yeah. next year with yeah. the Great Pacific Race tell us about that um, yeah, so I mean, the, the number one question that people would ask me after SAS was, um, so what are you doing next? You know, it's a bit like when you get married, when you're having babies. <laughs> and um, and I just didn't really have a good enough answer. And I, I, I wasn't, I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, there has to be another thing. Like, I <laughs> literally have to. Yeah, I like, kind of thought. Where do you go after SAS? Well, I also thought, like, 
probably nothing. <laughs> I might just like chill out for a bit. Um, but I kind of, I'm so, um, I'm so inspired by what has happened to me over the last couple of years, and I want to continue that. And I and I genuinely am a very normal person, and I feel like things things have uh, happened to me, or I've been able to take advantage of things in life that even I don't believe that I, I could have done. Um, and I really want to inspire other people, especially more women, to to kind of really go out there and. And, and find those things. So, you know, I kind of had half an eye on, well, what will I do next? Maybe I'll go and do the Marathon de Saab because that looks cool. And then, I don't know, I was kind of like, but so many people do that and it's, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's not easy to run. do it, but, you know, people, it, it's kind of easy to get into it and to, to apply for it, whatever. And, and I kind of, the beauty of SAS was that it was just such, it was so serendipitous, you know, that I would actually, how could I go from applying to actually being in the Andes and doing that. So um, I, I was actually approached by someone um, through uh, someone that I was on SES with uh, who just basically said to me at an event, it was a BMF press event actually, right. uh, and um, just kind of leaned over and said, do you, um, do you fancy rowing the Pacific with me? And um, I was like, uh, yes just the idea instantly kind of got me and it was so massive and it was water and that's still a demon that I feel like I need to deal with and I just felt like well what better way is there to just I mean <laughs> what better way to deal with well, water than 4,000 kilometers and just kind of so in that mindset now where you just like it's such an amazing thing to be able to say yes to things yeah. if you can do it say yes like worry about it later just say yes just because the doors just that that open from that are amazing um and you learn so much about yourself so um yeah so we're so basically i'm in a crew of four people four women um and uh yeah we will leave from san francisco in june next year yeah and hopefully make it to hawaii uh, less than 50 days later, so the current world's record stands at 50 days and 19 hours, so we're hoping to beat that. And um, it will be two hours on, two hours off for that whole time. Each each person, yeah. how many rowing at any one time? Uh, so two just rowing. Two rowing, okay. And so, yeah, we'll get no more than like 90 minutes sleep at a time. Um, how do you train for that? I mean, how do you train for rowing the Pacific? Um, well, there's a bit of rowing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm doing a bit of rowing. Um, but it's not ocean rowing, is it? Yeah. Is it? Uh, okay. What? Well, no, the rowing that I'm doing is on a on a rowing machine on an erg. Okay. Yeah. yeah so it's quite different. Right. Um, but that's just really about spending time um, rowing. Getting the just, technique. You know. So we're each going to take 1.3 million strokes <sighs> over the crossing. So every time I pull that erg. You know, I'm thinking like this is it's like when you're training to run for a marathon, you know, it's every step you're just yeah. building up time or, or you do a cycling sportive, you need to spend time in the seat yeah. um, to kind of build that resilience and have those awful rows when you feel like you're going to throw up. Because actually the reality is when we're on the ocean, we'll be rowing at quite a slow, steady pace. Right. And it's everything else that's going to be, yeah. you know, the, the challenge. So, it, you know, it will obviously be physically demanding. I think people tend to like I know someone who lost 20 kilos 
doing the crossing. Wow. A guy. Um, but I think generally people will lose about 10, 10 kilos. So Extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and, and this is unsupported, right? It's not... Yeah, it's, so it's, it, not it, a... it's unsupported. There, there is a, um, a safety boat, um, but we'd be disqualified if we had to use it. Um, and it might take a day to get to you anyway. So we really do have to be... You're really out there. ...self-sufficient. Yeah, we carry all our food. Um, yeah. We're, well. we're just... Yeah, have to deal with everything that kind of comes up, including 60-foot swells and sharks and flying fish and storms and well, sleep deprivation and sores. I mean, like, my hands are already, already. in a complete state. They're going to get a lot worse than that. Amazing. But, and um, you're raising money. This is for charity? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're currently kind of confirming the charities that we're going to be raising money for, but it will be around, um, you know, inspiring women. Uh, through sport and um, some mental health right. um, charities as well. Brilliant. So, yeah, yeah. And if somebody wants to, is interested in sponsoring the yeah. event, how do they do that? So, we're, we're obviously looking for corporate sponsorship, um, and we have, we've got like a series of packages available for that. So, you could name our boat, or you could sponsor a, a one of our blades, or um, you know, various different options there. But we're also um, appealing to individuals um, to sponsor us. We're offering to do um, talks when we get back. Yeah. Um, in return for sponsorship, uh, you know, for, for companies that might want to motivate their workforce. Uh, we're also doing a uh, crowdfunding uh, option on our website, which is uh, dreamdaredo.org.uk. Um, so things that people can opt to buy us. So you might want to buy us a life jacket or you might want to buy us food for a week. Um, so we're kind of breaking all the different costs that it takes right. to, to undertake the challenge. Dreamdaredo.org.uk. We'll, we'll link it below. Yeah. Yeah. So go check it out. Yeah. Amazing course. Um, and then we're running a two, 250 club. So it's like a, a club of people who inspire us that we're inviting to, to pledge £250. We'll write your inspirational message outside of our cabin. So we've got that to look at while we're rowing. Um, uh -huh. And then we invite you to kind of networking events and um, send you a postcard from Hawaii and stuff. So that's like our kind of core crew, if you like. So yeah. lots of different ways that, that we're hoping we will generate the sponsorship that we need. But, you know, we've got to raise £140,000 even to do it. Not, not straightforward. Yeah. No. Okay. So get on, uh, get on the <laughs> link and, uh, and sponsor. I have to say, you've, you've described yourself as an ordinary woman. A woman. Uh, when we were in correspondence uh, setting this thing up, yeah. you said, yeah, four ordinary women are going to row 4,000 kilometres uh, from San Francisco to Hawaii. doesn't sound ordinary <laughs> at all, but I think there's something deeper. There's a message deeper mm. in, in, in your description. So, as a as a parting bit of advice, hmm. you know, what have you learned um, at, for for people watching out there? You know, what's your inspiration? What's your advice? Um, oh God, I've learned so many things over, particularly the last couple of years. Um, my advice is like work hard. You know, don't don't give up on things that are important to you. You can achieve. Like any of us can achieve anything we want to. Um, you know, get rid of the fears and the, the kind of demons in your head. Um, fear is kind of the number one thing that prevents us doing stuff. So, you know, a fear of failure or a fear of what other people think of us or a fear even of success, actually. Um, fear is just there to kind of prepare your body for something. So, you know, we shouldn't use it as this 
barrier to, to, to doing things in life that we want to do. Um, but yeah, you know, we are essentially four ordinary women. We all have our own jobs. We're not professional rowers. Um, you know, we're doing all of the administration and all of the training when we've done our, our normal jobs. Um, and, and I think particularly to a, a kind of female audience, I think that's what we want to show is like, you can do it all, you can. Um, Ordinary people can yeah. do extraordinary things yeah, with, the, with the courage. Yeah. Um, Vicky yeah. Anster, you're an inspiration to me and uh, no doubt many others. Thank you. Very best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.